0: The LGBT community has forgiven Jean Jacket. It's us. We're the LGBT community. (laughs) Cowboys and Slaybots, a pop culture podcast uh, where two gay people in their twenties talk about whatever they want. <laughs> I'm Noah, my pronouns are he/him, and you can find me on pretty much all social media at the Jewish Jedi.
1: And I'm Sage. I use she/they pronouns, and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Sage Sindula. And today we're talking about Nope, the Jordan Peele. Yes. <laughs> um we're not like this isn't like a review it's more of just like we literally can't stop talking about it with each other so now we just have to you we're know
0: making it all of your problems basically exactly, exactly. yeah um i would yeah. say i mean obviously like heavy spoiler warning for the rest of this movie which and just to be clear not that we're paid for this or not but like go see this movie
1: but yes like if you haven't seen it get to the theater
0: go I will also say, like, as a movie, it's definitely worth watching in an actual, like, movie theater. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of what I love about it, like, at least from a production standpoint, I would not enjoy as much of it where just, like, on my home television. Uh, go to a theater and see it. Yeah. It's very slay. The film, no. Um, So this is Jordan Peele's third movie, yes?
1: Yes, third movie. Like...
0: Following
1: us. um, His first one was Get Out, I think, 2019? No. Us came out
0: yeah. in 2019. Us is 2019. I think Good out was 2017.
1: Okay, that sounds right.
0: It is 2017, yeah. Knowledge, filmmaking, understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I think we can just do like a pretty bare bones plot synopsis. Um, yeah. this movie's about aliens. I mean, well, alien, Jean jacket, my love, my savior, I would die for you. Um, but basically The plot of this movie is that you have O.J. and Emerald Haywood, who are the children of Otis Haywood, and he owns a horse ranch that is used for, like, basically animals in Hollywood. Like, he provides horses for movies and stuff. And after his mysterious death at the hands of a coin that falls out of the sky, his son, O.J., played by Daniel Kaluuya, is like, okay, well, this is my horse business now. I've got to do deal some shit with it. The movie picks up... Six months and a certain number of days later that may come up later in our discussion. (laughs) Um, And basically, uh, he notices that his horses have started to go missing and what has sucked into the sky by what he believes to be a UFO. And that's where we start the movie, basically. I mean, it's not where we start the film, but where we start the plot.
1: Yes, exactly. Where we start the film is actually during like the intro sequences um, talking about, you know, who's who produced the movie and stuff. We actually hear um, audio from uh, from a TV show, what it sounds like uh, before we even get anything on screen. And that is the first time we're actually introduced to some little cutscenes that we get throughout the movie of uh, a, a TV show that is being filmed called Gordy's Home. Um, And we don't know that immediately. Right off the bat, you're kind of just like, oh, this is so interesting. I wonder what this has to do with the movie. Um, This is not about aliens at all. So I'm confused. Um, But yeah, we hear this TV audio and then we kind of see Gordy, who is this chimpanzee. And when I tell you that was the scariest way to start any movie literally ever... (laughs)
0: <laughs> no genuinely I was because I was like oh, okay yeah it's a horror movie like I'm I'm probably gonna get scared at some point but like I have never seen I think that level of violence on and on a like a tv show or a movie where I actually was like sick at watching it yeah like it's a lot like the sounds they use for him uh-uh no thank you <laughs> it was it's so much it's so much
1: it's a lot it's a lot to watch but right off the bat it it sets the tone you know you're getting you you see it and you're like I'm getting into a Jordan Peele film and then and you are yes yes you are and then it goes into our little title sequence with all of our actors names and something so interesting is that during that you are actually spoiler alert Inside of Jean Jacket's mouth, and you don't know that until the end of the film, obviously. And then you're like, "Wow, we really started here. We really started here."
0: Well, I think it's incredible. So visually, Jean Jacket is one of my favorite mo- like movie monsters in a while. Um, she's giving flying saucer for a lot of the movie, but internally, the mouth of Jean Jacket does look like a camera obscura. Like, which to me, at least, when I first watched the movie, I was like, "Well, surely that's what I'm looking into." Is just like it is the lens of a camera. Sure. All right. And I think the other thing is that this movie opens so strongly is it opens with a quote from Nahum 3 6. So Nahum, the book of Nahum, is in the Tanakh, and it's basically he's one of this group of prophets that's considered separate from the Torah and separate from the Kabbalah. And basically this Nahum 36 is I will make a spec I will cast abominable filth at you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. And that is the line that we open this movie on. Uh and I, I remember reading that and I was like, oh, I'm in for something. Something is not right with the world that I'm watching the movie with this opening.
1: No, exactly. And I, like you read that and you're like, well, for me, at least I was like, I know exactly what this movie is going to be about now. Um, Apparently that didn't translate to a majority of the people who watched this movie, which we'll get into. But when, when what I was the
0: point of the Gordy's home clips, I don't really get it.
1: <laughs> I just I just I lost it. I lost it. <laughs> literally getting going from seeing this movie in the theater and then opening tiktok vile don't
0: volleyball. do it don't do it is that it worth it
1: horrend, it was a horrendous experience um i just that i found I, really yeah, offensive.
0: bad no I'm like <laughs> this movie is so like not heavy-handed it just it's very well done in terms of what it wants you to walk away with and somehow many did not
1: <laughs> like many did not understand. Don't
0: understand
1: but that's why but we're no. here we're here to yeah. explain it all <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're going to talk about the Courtney's home incident. No. But like, yeah, this movie is a movie about spectacle. And it does that really, really, really well. Um, But yeah, no, the opening with like the Bible verse, Jean Jacket's horrifying little mouth flap thing. Um, And then we, I believe right from there, we start with like the events of where Oda, Oda Sr. dies, right?
1: Yes. We get like pretty much a montage of OJ like walking through everything. um, Setting up all of his work for the day uh and on there's a radio you know that's going on during this time that he's listening to and that's where we get our first little jean jacket little hint in there uh basically it's saying like oh there's some missing hikers in la blah blah blah. that's how we know it takes place in the outskirts of la
0: so yeah the radio is like that apparently like people i guess didn't notice I walk into certain movies based off who I know is involved with them approaching them differently and because I knew this was a Jordan Peele movie I was like I want to take in as much as I can like auditorily and visually from minute one and I did because this little radio that's playing is like yeah it's weird these this couple hikers they they didn't come back we're sending a search party for them hope it's nothing and at that point I was like oh well that has to factor in somehow like that has to come back around that that wouldn't be put in there unintentionally it's not just white noise um, and it's basically Willis is playing and Otis Sr. is talking about um, basically like doing a shoot with one of the horses, like bringing them out and doing something with them. Um, he, they suddenly basically like, OJ's phone goes out, stops working. And then we start to see little things like begin to impale the ground. And then he turns back around and the camera pans with us and Otis Sr. is like slumped over on his horse. And I was like, oh fuck. Like, I don't know why, but I assume there'd be some kind of like, Peacetime buildup, but like we're in it from the second it starts
1: and it's such a good opening too it's such a good like it really starts off the film and you're it gets right into it and then also I don't know why but I definitely was not expecting like a character to die in the first like five same, minutes same I, I
0: mean, mean which is funny because like the Gordy's home clip is so like bloody and terrible and then you're like okay well that was somewhere different but we're not here and then immediately Otis senior is impaled by a nickel and drops dead like yeah
1: mm-hmm. it's a lot Um, something I'd like to point out is when I was doing my, my third rewatch of the movie, I kind of, it clicked with me. I've seen this movie way too many times. I clicked with me that, um... OJ uses a flip phone, uh whereas literally nobody else does in the entire movie. Well, one, he does live in the middle of nowhere. So, that kind of makes sense. However, M's phone works. Like we know that smartphones work out there. And then I was like, "Oh, well, because this movie's about spectacle, how do we as a society consume all of our spectacles basically through our smartphones?" Uh and so I I thought that was uh just a little interesting thing about his character that he's just so doesn't care he just doesn't care about most things that are going on in the world he cares about his horses and that's it um and And I
0: respect him for that and I would marry him for that just to be clear where I stand personally um but I would well and I I love that little detail too it's something I really hadn't considered on my first viewing or really my second um but what I like about OJ's character like you like you're saying is like He's not really involved with the spectacle of it all. He's a he's a pretty like removed guy. I think reclusive isn't correct, but like throughout the movie, when we see him interact with people, it's in like a very specific way. You know, we see OJ interact with people, even his own sister, like who I would say he's definitely the most lively with out of everybody. But like, he's just a pretty chilled out dude. Even later, when he's literally getting besieged by an alien, he's like, "Well, I have horses to feed, so I mean, I'll I'll be back there." Me personally, I'll still be there. Like, and I'm like. Okay, I respect that. Does it help that it's being played by Daniel Kaluuya, who I love? Maybe. That might have something to do with it. A bit. Yeah, but what can I say? I respect a man who has a job. He's employed.
1: Exactly. So true.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I know he's... I think we start that movie off really, really strongly, especially because basically after Otis Sr. dies, we cut to about six months later. And we're also, I like to just because I like how Jordan Peele made this movie, like there was there like a title card that says six months later, like someone offhandedly mentions it's been about six months since his dad died. He's the new kid. Like I, I enjoy that. It feels more correct than just like yelling at your audience. Like it's been this amount of time. I was like, thank you. Um, we come up on this movie set with this. I, is it for a commercial? I, Okay, so yes. So
1: I was like, yeah, it's a commercial that they're shooting basically. But then why is like one of the best cinematographers in the entire world there?
0: I I don't know. Like cause okay they have this like horse in front of a green screen and they show you that the green screen's like a wave or something and i'm like i don't even know what product this be <laughs> trying to advertise like and then they bring an actress in and i'm like is she supposed to be on the horse like i'm so lost
1: i'm thinking it was it was probably for like promotional material for a film
0: Slay, like, yeah, that would be cool. Well, because earlier Antlers does say, like, I do one for them so I can do one for me. So I'm like, sure, this can just be like a commercial. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. Um, yeah, no, this is mm, Antlers girl. I have beef with you, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, um, yeah, this is also the first time that we hear M's little speech, which is in the trailer. And I love very, very, very much. Kiki Palmer, I would die for you. So it- true she does this great like she talks about basically the the first movie ever made um the like plate 626 animal locomotion um where it's a guy riding on a horse and how in this film she and her family like that was her great 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 grandfather is the jockey that's on the horse in the first place though notably she slips up in her speech she says great great grandfather um and i saw a tweet about this from i can't remember like i saw it when i got out of the movie the first time pointing out that the reason she does that is because all she knows how to do is mimic her father's speech like yeah. she doesn't it, it's not actually her she just has it memorized mm-hmm. and what i love too I about the two of these guys is like she has so much more charisma in her pinky than oj has in her entire body and i'm like <laughs> i'm obsessed with this dichotomy because also like if you have siblings it's like that
1: no like, exactly
0: they play such good like a brother and sister duo like I believe that y'all have known each other since you were born easily like come on
1: (laughs) I think also just like a testament to their acting like skills they're just so I feel like anything that both of them are in but especially Kiki Palmer, just anytime she's in anything, I'm like, you've known this entire cast for your entire life, actually.
0: No, literally.
1: She's just a charismatic person. You mentioned um, her speech and basically what she's saying about her family history. I thought it was really interesting that, you know, they're saying the first basically movie ever was a black man on a horse. And that was my great, great, great grandfather. We can see from this that M and OJ are basically born from spectacle. They have a family line of being associated with the movies, which is our biggest form of spectacle in our like society. They're the first and only people to ever go up against Jean Jacket and live. Maybe.
0: Unclear. Unclear. <laughs> we'll Maybe later. No, but I I do love that too. And it's like their whole existence is fundamentally dependent on spectacle that needs to keep happening. Like their whole business model depends on the fact that we keep making movies that require these animals that they can train and they can sell. Like that's, and like later when OJ is selling his horses to Jupe, he's also dependent on the spectacle that's happening at Jupe's place of business. Like no matter how you slice it, they literally like are living and dying by the... The horror of being observed, basically, which, like, this one is so, so consistent and so tight in all of its narrative themes. Like, it's this idea of is literally, like, in every square inch of this movie. And that's part of the reason why I love it so much. But yeah, I, speaking of Jupe, speaking of Jupe, speaking of Stephen Yan, <laughs> hi, how are you? <laughs> hey. <laughs> he is so, so Jupe in this movie, or Jupe, short for Jupiter. Um, is the kid we see at the beginning of with the Gordy's home incident, um, and he has horrifyingly monetized his own deep-seated trauma and pain. The point where he has a small room of memorabilia from what I could argue is probably the literal worst day of his life, and he's like, yeah. "Oh, I charge people to stay in here overnight." Mm-hmm. Like, and shout out to Steven Yeun, like for like hashtag being an actor. Because as he's talking about, like, this SNL skit of the Gordie's incident, you can see, like, he's trying to pretend that it's funny, but you can see in his face that he's, like, deeply disturbed. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with this performance. I love you. Like, what's going on?
1: It is literally my, one of my favorite scenes out of this entire film. I'm genuinely obsessed with it because it just hits a bit close to home. I think it's really funny. Um... I mean, it's not funny. It's funny to me, but that's like a trauma thing. Uh, anyways, I think, <laughs> sorry, I it's think so that, true. <laughs> um, I think that in this scene, basically, what's happening is Jupe is talking to M and basically telling her what happened, what Gordy's home was, and the events that followed. And instead of telling her what happened from his perspective, He goes on to say, well, haven't you seen the SNL skit? And then he goes into the events of this SNL skit, which differ actually a lot from what actually happened, but it's the same basics, you know? Um, It's the same basic idea that this chimpanzee attacks everyone on set. This is so amazing to me that this was written in this way, because by talking about an SNL skit, he is completely removing himself from his trauma. He's talking about it as if it happened to somebody else. And I think when you go through a very violent trauma, that's something that you just do inherently. Anytime you're talking, about, I think any trauma, really not just violent trauma, you're, you're, you almost talk about it when you are explaining it to someone as it's happening to somebody else. And you're saying I and stuff, but he's literally not. He's saying all of these things that are happening on this Gordy's Home show, but it, but it's not really, you know, it's not really happening to him because it's happening to the guy who played him on SNL.
0: No, he he literally doesn't even say like when this happened to me. He's talking about the actors as mm-hmm. though like this is just some skit, not like a real world event, and like it's so bizarre too because like he has all this memorabilia. Some of which, a, a lot of which is just like you know like a Gordy's Home T-shirt or like an object from the show. But there's one thing in this collection that if you think of it, it's absolutely insane to keep. And that is the shoe. Yes. So at the beginning of this movie, when you see the Gordy home incident, Gordy is beating a child actor to death. And I, it is horrifying, absolutely. But notably, despite the fact that he's like, you know, shaking the floor and stomping around, there's a single shoe. There's a single drop of blood that is standing on its, on its own perfectly. And he has the shoe in his like fucking memorabilia room. This thing that he literally stared at while one of his like, presumably- at least semi-close friends that they were going to set together is getting beat to death by a chimp. Uh Uh-huh. And he said, oh, I'll I'll be keeping that. Yeah. It's so, so much. And you can see that everything in here pains him, but also he doesn't have any ability to look away from it. Like he has to keep this in his life at all times. It's so weird.
1: And then he even says, when he's talking to Em and explaining this, he says, he's talking about the SNL skit and he's like, oh, it was a worldwide phenomenon people blah 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 and then he switches his wording and then he says I was a spectacle and I just think that the way Jordan Peele put that in there because the entire scene he's literally removing himself from the situation and then all of a sudden it's I was a spectacle I think that that's just a testament to and we can get into this later when we go really deep into the scene I think it's just a testament to how people react to having their trauma very publicized. It's either, you know, it's, you know, it's going to happen anyways, right? You know, like everyone's going to watch this and everyone's going to talk about you forever and always because it's out there. It's on the TV. It's, you can look it up on an SNL skit on YouTube. It's a way of like reclaiming that and being like, oh, I was a spectacle, you know? And it's his only way of basically doing it. It's the same thing with keeping the shoe. It's the same thing with having this room in his office, this memorabilia from a terrible event that killed people. Anyways.
0: <laughs> no, it's genuinely, like, it's so... The fact that ultimately, too, like, he still maintains that his main source of business is still spectacleizing things. Like, mm-hmm. so, and just to spoil, it, I bet. Now that we're thrown the whole movie, obviously, but, like, Basically, this goes so far in the, in the fact that when Jupe discovers Jean Jacket for the first time, so basically, Jupe's been buying horses from OJ, and OJ's like, Well, I would like them back. Or, you know, we can talk about like, like buying them back or like paying over time, which Jupe can't agree to because the horses are gone because he's been feeding them to Jean Jacket. And he's so involved in this concept of spectaculizing the self that. Not only is he beating them in a jean jacket, he's turned it into an attraction. Like there, he's seeing something miraculous yet horrifying as these horses are dragged up into the sky by a visit, like what he assumes to be a UFO. Though you know, jean jacket's not really that, but like he assumes that that's what it is, and he's like, "This will make a great attraction." He's not like there are aliens. The universe is bigger than I am. Blah blah blah. He's not terror. He's not. He's not put in a state of terror and fear. This thing is eating horses off the ground. Like he thinks none of that he thinks this is a profitable thing that I can generate revenue from and I can generate relevance from. And then he does. And I also think it's interesting too, because like when OJ sees Jean Jacket for the first time, literally some of his first thoughts are, well, what if it's on a ship? It seems like an animal. Like instantly he makes this connection. And I think it's partially because Jupe doesn't want it to be that way. Like it can't be that hard to jump from like this thing eats horses and so far only horses and has never communicated intelligently it's probably like a shark from the air. Like not even once. Does he think that?
1: Mm-hmm. And I think also something to like, just that reinforces all of that is the fact that this hasn't happened once or twice. He has done this every Friday for six months. Jupe literally been, he bought 10 horses from OJ and all 10 of those were eaten every Friday for six months. And he was just like, yeah, aliens. No, like, he... By the
0: time that we see, like, the final attempt at the, the Star Lasso experience, which is what he calls little attraction, he's commissioned merchandise for it.
1: Mm-hmm. There
0: are plushies you can buy. He had to contact a manufacturer for that. Like, <laughs> Jeep girl, girl you're, so <laughs> you're so fucked up.
1: You're so fucked up, and I love you so much. Like, well, I love like, you like,
0: <laughs> What's so interesting about it, too, is, like, He's not even like a shit person. He's just someone who genuinely never figured out how to place himself in the world after what happens to him. And notably, this movie is something we have mentioned. Is that this movie's broken up into chapters for each, each horse, basically. Um, which I like. There, there's a fun little title card that says like ghost, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But one of them is Gordy, where we actually do see the entirety of the Gordy's home incident as it's happened to him. It's terrifying. Uh, all that happens basically is that. They're having like a birthday at party for Gordy and one of the presents is a big box of balloons, one of which pops and that just sends Gordy into an absolute frenzy. In the case of Gordy's home, the attempt to make a spectacle out of this animal has resulted in tragedy. Hopefully that doesn't happen a second time in this movie. That would that would suck, right?
1: That'd be so awful. Moving on, we have the scene, right? When we, we first see our queen jean jacket
0: my lord and xavier love her
1: obsessed with her girly girl you did nothing wrong you were just trying to eat you were just hungry
0: i'm so- <laughs> like okay yes jean jacket eat people but on the other hand if you consider she was hangry no exactly
1: like what do you like, do when you haven't eaten in a week
0: that's what i thought that's exactly. what i thought yeah no you guys just need to like Oh, the alien's eating people? Have you considered you just haven't made a good habitat for your alien? hmm That's what I thought. Maybe yeah. you're not
1: taking care of your alien. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, I'm obsessed with us. <laughs> love how our mind works. <laughs> so true. We get into basically what happens is...
0: Boy, first of all, Daniel Kalua looking so sexy in the moonlight. I'd kiss him. That's all.
1: <laughs> Continue. No, you so- Right. I saw a TikTok. I don't know if this is true, but I saw a TikTok that was like the entire, all the night shots were day to night, like editing. Like they shot them all during the day and then just put like filters over it. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is props to the editing team also because this movie was shot on film. So like That'd that's be insanely
0: cool. I'm obsessed with this.
1: Yeah, me too. Anyways. So that, that scene, basically when we first see Jean Jacket, uh, ghost escapes Um, because M is playing music really loud, and (laughs) love her for that. She runs off, OJ's like, oh, I'll go after her, and then um, she basically gets eaten by Jean Jacket, by our little alien, uh, who is still in flying saucer-esque form. OJ sees it, M does not, but then the next morning, OJ's kind of like, I saw something weird. I saw something weird in the sky. (laughs)
0: I will also say two things about that scene that like stuck with me. One, the way that they had the horses scream whenever they get eaten by Jean Jacket is so unsettling.
1: It is unreal. That sounds in my brain forever.
0: No, I'll literally never get over it. I'm like, this is horrible. I'm obsessed. I will also say, they do this, like, I I think it's some kind of, like, cello or bass, basically. Whenever Jean Jacket, like, appears out of nowhere and then disappears, there's, like, a dun. Like, and it's just, like, flattened out of nowhere. And it's so, like, my heart was pounding for half the movie in, like, the best way. Um, this is also the scene where we get one of the the movie's key phrases that, unfortunately, I love far too much, which is when OJ asks, what's a bad miracle? They got a word for that, which M says, Nope. <laughs> The film was over. Now we can stop. No, but like, yeah, the horse screaming. Mm. Whoever made that, I want to talk to you.
1: <laughs> I actually don't. I don't want to know what that was because I know that was not a horse. I know that was not a horse. Um, anyways, yeah. No, we get the we get the bad miracle line, uh, which we can talk about more in depth when we get to the other bad miracles that happen. Um, within the movie, I I think I might get the word bad miracle tattooed onto my body
0: i have thought about it too yeah i I can't say i haven't um there's something very compelling about this concept that i find both artistically and philosophically is really cool yeah like i don't know i don't know why but just like i don't know why the phrase a bad miracle makes my brain tick so well but it does i'm like no it's just good i like it
1: no exactly and then we have another scene following where M and OJ are going through a little store before we get to the character we all we all know and love. Uh, they have this conversation. They're looking for cameras or whatever, and OJ is kind of like, "What are we looking for?" And sh- and M is basically like, "Oh, well, we are gonna get you know the shot." And OJ goes, "Like, what shot? What are you talking about?" And she goes, "The Oprah shot." Because they were talking about how these UFO videos could be shown on Oprah. And I thought that was really interesting how they, like, mentioned Oprah other than anyone else. Any other news outlet or anything. A little background to what happened to this movie. Back in 2008, basically this woman, Charla Nash, got eaten and, and attacked by a chimpanzee. And she was then, about six months to a year later, on Oprah to... um have an interview. Oprah actually says some like really horrible things to this woman during this interview, which I like, not like purposefully, but she's kind of like, oh, how do you even go on with your face like this? Because this woman, her entire lower half of her face is gone. Um, And she looks strikingly similar to the character who gets attacked in this movie later on, um, who by the way, is wearing a veiled hat in our movie, Charla Nash wears a very similar veiled hat um on this on this interview.
0: Oh, I did not know that. Oh okay, yeah. wow. So this movie really has way too many layers.
1: There's a lot of layers. And I just think that this like idea of like this Oprah shot is also lends to not only like the surface level, level of spectacle that we've been talking about, but also it kind of goes into this whole Gordy's home incident. Of this idea that when bad things happen to people, when horrific things happen to people, the only, like, way that people can process it is to turn it into a spectacle. And I think there's a difference between Jupe turning himself into a spectacle and other people turning him into a spectacle. Um, And I think that that's just a larger conversation about how media and the news and, like, talk shows kind of go about interviewing people who have gone through horrible things because... Really, why? Like, what is the what is the reason? Um, other than to make money off of somebody else's trauma, uh. But that's this conversation for another time.
0: <laughs> um, no, but I I do feel like what you're saying, true, has just like something interesting about it that I'm thinking about. Is like a lot of talk shows that follow a lot of talk show like segments that follow these very I would I would say ordinary. You know, it's like, like they're they're celebrities. They're people who have something horrific happen to them. Um, and I find what's interesting about it is that one we condense whatever happens to them down to like a 24 minute bit, basically, or we can distill it down to what happened. But ultimately the person in question is really being brought forward under these stages so that they can be sympathized or empathized with, or we can better understand what happened to them or like an awareness thing. It's always almost entirely for the crowd to revel in the horror of whatever happened to them. I remember when I was a kid, I don't remember if this was on Oprah or on Ellen, but really same difference. Um, but there was a kid whose um, family's house got broken into, and he like rushed to their defense because like nine, like he's like definitively a child. Um, and I don't remember how it took up. What I remember was that they bring him up for this interview, and he's talking about like the you know someone broke into my house. I'm a child. I had to like defend my mom from being literally murdered, and they bring out like a cart of toys for him, and like and the crowd is applauding and like. At the time of, of, I'm like nine as well. So I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But as an adult, I'm like, wait a minute, this kid is, you've you've had this child recount this horrible harrowing thing that happened to him and then supplied him with like a material band-aid for that. But ultimately that this is not for the child. This is for the crowd to feel bad for somebody and then say, wow, he's not awful. And then we all move on. And like, yeah. That is so much of what happens in this movie, and it's so much of what happens to all the characters. Like jupes. I, I just this connection you made between like the talk show as a theme, which I had not thought about. I'm obsessed with. Like it, it really does change a lot of how we think about the movie too. Like, uh, okay, wow, lots to think about.
1: After this uh, Oprah shot scene, we meet Angel and. I'm just obsessed with this guy. He's just a guy, first of all. He works at this, like, tech company thing, and he's, like... He
0: works at Fry's Electronics, which I believe doesn't exist anymore.
1: I... I want to
0: check. Hold on. Okay, yeah.
1: Because I've never heard of it, to be honest. I thought they made it up for the movie.
0: (laughs) Okay, no, so it no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe it closed in... 2021. It was definitely between the the early parts of the pandemic. Um. Yes. Okay. No. Fry's Electronics is a real place, but it's also a real store. Like that. Like <laughs> UFO in like the side of the building. That is a, a real Fry's Electronics. Um. This was like it's it was very spiritism on to Radio Shack. Uh. But it does look like it no longer exists. But yeah. No. Fry's is a real place. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um. But yeah, Angel Torres i love you i don't know what it is about this gentleman but the second i saw him on screen I was like first of all baby girl energy second of all i would marry him i was like, just
1: gonna say that i was like it's the baby girl energy it truly is i
0: there are scenes later where oj essentially communicates with angel as though he is a horse like he clicks he <laughs> like clicks his and stuff like like snaps on his hips and stuff and i'm like hey, first of all y'all bitches are gay but second of all OJ, what are you doing? Stop talking to like he's like, But also, the best part is Angel responds to that. <laughs> he's like, Oh, sweet, I'll go over there. Like, Sarah, what are you doing? He's he in love. So... No. He's just in love.
1: The things we do for love.
0: I just know. Because also, him and his gay little fry electronics uniform. I'm so surprised that you thought that Fry's electronics was not a real place. <laughs> well, i, would I know? That. Why would
1: okay. I
0: know?
1: Is okay, it a chain?
0: It is a chain, and notably, they are throughout California. No, that's... <laughs> I grew up so with weird. one in my own town. <laughs> oh, wow. No, please. Okay, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm obsessed with this. Oh, my
1: God, there's literally <laughs>
0: oh my god and you're like oh no surely I don't know what that is oh wow
1: I've never been inside of one How well are...
0: now you can't because they're permanently closed um, but so, alas so they sad. recruit they recruit Angel because they want to set up cameras um and he's also kind of a brat but like in a fun way uh because basically I like I can set up these cameras he's like no you can't stupid you can't do that <laughs> And then we just cut to him at the Haywood ranch and he's putting up cameras and OJ is talking to him as though he is a horse. <laughs> like, what are we doing?
1: I think it's just so like, he really wants to be a part of, of their little thing. And at first it's like, oh, he wants to see the UFO. Like, cause it's very obvious to him that these guys are looking to get cameras to film a UFO. Um, and especially that is like reinforced when OJ's like, he, he does a little like clicky tongue thing that he does. It's so good. No, he...
0: literally he looks at Angel he's like.
1: Yep. He's like pointing and... up. He's like, I
0: and guess, I guess what? Angel says, all right, here we go. And he, and he has he... his little keyboard and the camera goes up. And
1: I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is going on?
0: <laughs> it's too good. Mm-hmm. Also, Brandon, per- Brandon Pereira, he and Daniel Kalua have such a fantastic chemistry. Like, first of all, this cast in general, I'm like, I believe y'all could be friends. Yeah. Um, I also I saw a Tumblr post that was like, "Damn, baby, your found family is gender nonconforming as fuck." <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is this movie. <laughs> but oh, yeah, they do he sets up these gay little cameras. Them. I also do love that you mentioned like he like he really wants to be a part of things because yeah, as soon as like like yeah, he wants to see the UFO, but that's not really why he sticks around at all. It's not really what that's for. <laughs>
1: No, and he does have like I think yes, he's obviously in love with OJ. But um he also like has this like really fun like sibling relationship with M. Um that just is right off the bat. Like they just hit it off and at first she's kind of like you're annoying, but in like a fun way. Like I like having you around. And then he, I, even when they finish film like setting up all the cameras and stuff, he's like, "Oh, like if you need me to come by and do stuff or if you need to do it or if you can do it yourself or whatever and she goes no I like when you do it like it was just a cute little moment I just like
0: no it was so cute also when he's leaving he's like I'm gonna get a call off my supervisor and, and I was like five stars Angel five stars and I was like yeah he deserves that mm-hmm.
1: yeah he does um,
0: But that brings us I believe that brings us up to the first night which is I believe Clover is the yeah Clover's the first one after Ghost after they get the cameras um they are trying to basically get a video of Jean Jacket. Um, this does not. This attempt does not work. Uh, between electrical interference and this one really annoying praying mantis that refuses to get off the camera, um, Jean Jacket is out and about. Um, yeah. Oh my god! I totally forgot about this part. M steals that plastic horse from Jupe. Yeah. It's... Oh my god! How did I miss that? <laughs>
1: um yeah basically she steals this plastic horse to use as a decoy um and then what what happens after that basically is that his kids jupes kids come to pull a prank on on the the haywood siblings
0: when i tell you
1: I've never that... been scared more in my life.
0: <laughs> no. Okay. So this prank that they pull, which you don't, you don't know, by the way, I want to be clear as a viewer, you do not. You. So I, and this is what I love about this movie that's so masterful to me is like, you've seen the UFO, you know, it's a real thing. And then you, and then he, OJ basically like goes into like this little barn and like all the lights are acting weird and like springs are turning on and you're like, okay, well, it's have the aliens. And then I shit you not, this fucking alien thing, like quietly moves out of a corner in like dead silence. And I audibly was like, fuck, like was terrified. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. I was like, oh, this is it. And then like, he like turns and there's another one like walking out of the shadows. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is I like, I watched it with my roommates and literally, like, I was like gripping my friend's hand. Like, I not on like a like they're gonna kill me, just like I was so excited. I was like, what the fuck's going on?
1: <laughs> there was this one video I was watching that was basically like, oh, the scariest scenes are the ones where we know exactly um what is happening, but don't know what's going to happen. And the the scariest scenes, one of the examples that they used was some like film that I've never seen before, and some like ghostly person is like slowly walking towards the camera and you have no idea what's happening um but like or what's going to happen but that is so much scarier than say a giant uh ufo turning into some angel like horrific deity in the sky um which obviously is the point that like that part in the end is not supposed to be scary it's supposed to be like holy shit you know but this part is it's supposed to be terrifying for the audience which just makes the payoff of it being a prank so much more funny like it, it is was so great funny. I was also because like so hard
0: Daniel Kaluuya plays this scene so fantastically because like one of my things when I watch a horror movie is I'm always like it's hard for me to get into it when the characters don't act in a way that I think is like rational of what's happening to them so Daniel Kaluuya attempts to photograph this little alien dude that's like around with a corner phone. he yeah with his flip phone oh jay i would die for you um he's like he has his flip phone out and he's trying to take a picture and as coming around is when another one like emerges in the darkness and literally he's like nope and he just goes to leave and i'm like and thank you and then one of them like comes up behind him and he put- he like decks this kid because he's like oh no and that's when they take out their little mask and they're like don't fuck with jupiter's claim or like whatever they say and like run away but i was like okay at least you acted like a human being what if they thought they were about to get chased by aliens that you know eats a horse like at least you knew what was going on
1: but essentially what this whole what this whole ordeal this whole scene uh what the purpose of it is other than to make you piss your pants and then laugh um is is that the kids let out clover uh, which is one of the horses. Um, and this is obviously what starts a, a little fiasco with Jean Jacket uh, because Jean Jacket gets hungry. And so she goes to eat um, Clover. So unfortunate for Clover. Really miss you. Um, a quick, a quick interlude. Just want to point out because what we've been talking about all along, these kids are wearing their like alien masks. That are meant to be for the show that Jupe is going to be putting on later. Um for the, the lasso experience or whatever, for <laughs> so Jean Jacket can eat everybody. Um, but I do want to point out that the suits they're wearing are very, very reminiscent of chimpanzees, like of chimpanzees. they are
0: wearing like little fur suits basically. Yes. Yeah.
1: Jupe, girly, you are doing everything you can to profit off of your trauma. Can I help you? Can I send well, you? Well, and I also think like
0: it shows how much he's influenced by it too. Because the thing that I love, um, they show us in the in the full in the full reveal of the Gordy home incident, they like pan across the set, and the cameras that are rolling on the set look like the faces of the aliens that he's made. Like to the point where I wonder if just like child Jupe. In order to just deal with what was going on around him, like, had to focus on something different that wasn't that.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: just, Jeep Gurley, please, please, we can't keep doing this. We
1: can't. And, like,
0: yeah, and Jean Jacket fully swoops down, eats Clover, but also notably eats the decoy horse that M left out. And as a result, that's where we get that iconic image of the flags basically dangling out of it because it's not a real horse. It can't digest it. So it's just stuck there with this fake horse up in its, like, Windpipe, basically, as as OJ puts it, um, they don't capture any video of it. It's very shit for everyone involved. Um, and then we get to the reveal of the of the full Gordy's home incident, which we already mostly went over. The only big thing that I want to point out is basically one: we see um one of the other actors from the Gordy's home show get violently attacked by Gordy. Well, we don't really see him. We see him dash behind a set, yelling at Gordy, and then we hear Gordy violently murdering him um but the other thing that we see is how Jupe gets out of that situation um earlier Jupe tells us that the first exploding fist bump which was like a thing they did on the show with the chimps that played Gordy um happened when he was there and he was like basically Gordy has been beating who's his what do you remember what his co-star's name is
1: Mary Jo Elliott
0: yeah so Gordy's been beating Mary Jo Elliott really traumatically I was just like to say from a sound design perspective it sounds Like gross and like stomach turning. It's squishy. It's bad. It's, oh my God. Yeah. But Gordy turns. And by the way, this, I also like jumped out of my seat for this scene because Gordy turns and locks eyes, not with dupe, but with the camera. So you're staring at this bloody, horrific chimp in a birthday suit, basically. After seeing what he's just done to two adult people who, like, should have, in your mind, you're like, well, I could have dealt with that. Probably not. Um, and he approaches the camera, and it's sheer terror. Like, to me at least, I was, like, backing up from from the screen. It was so I was like, fuck me. Like, oh my god. Um, And then Jupe has locked eyes with Gordy, a thing that may be important later, um, and Gordy, like, slowly approaches him, and uh, he goes to do the exploding fist bump, and notably is then shot. Like someone literally like we see Gordy's brains splatter across jupe's face and also this tablecloth. And it's terrifying. And this is also why I see why I say see this movie in a theater, because the surrounded sound of that gunshot being as loud as it is, it sh- it shocks you. It literally you're like, shit. Like I jumped at that. It was a lot. Um, and the other thing notably about this is that jupe survives where nobody else does. And From and we can talk about this, because we both have thoughts about this character. Because to me, he misinterprets why he survives. He thinks... Because because he doesn't ever know what would have happened if he'd actually been able to to connect that little fist bump, he's uncertain if Gordy would have let him live out of an affection. But in reality, it's because there's a tablecloth in front of him, and they can't lock eyes directly, and Gordy can't recognize him as a predator or as a threat. So... He like slows down essentially. And I think that because Jupe never gets that closure, he's still to his to this day in his adult life is of the belief that, well, Gordy wouldn't have hurt me if he'd given the chance to choose for himself. And then we see what it is with that information. So flop.
1: <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I do I also think my first time watching this movie, I while I was watching the scene happen. When he goes to do the exploding fist bump, my first thought was that he was making it up. I was like, Jupe is, he's obviously making this up. He's remembering it as um be, as something less scary than it was, right? Because yes, like you were saying, the only reason that Gordy didn't attack uh, Jupe is because he was looking through a tablecloth. He couldn't make eye contact. He couldn't determine whether or not Jupe was going to hurt him. But also, I thought it was really interesting that this thing that they, that they did, that Joop and Gordy would do the exploding fist bump as something that is so kind, so lighthearted, something that showed the connection that they had over this year of filming the show, basically. Um, of course, as a child, you would think that that's what's happening. Oh, he's going to do my exploding fist bump is that really what was happening or was he touching you to see if you were something that he was going to attack next? You know? Yeah. And that was my first initial thought. And I was like, wow, this is really just heartbreaking because obviously Jube never grows out of it. He never like struggles. He, he, he never struggles to go through what might've actually happened to him and he just denies it. Throughout the entire movie, he's basically denying his own trauma. He's denying the fact that he went through something so tragic. Um, and his only way to, you know, cope with it is to profit out of it and to show everyone, oh, look, like, I survived this. Like, I'm so cool, you guys. It's because me and Gordy were tight. We have a connection.
0: I made it through where nobody else did because something about me is special and worth preserving. Yeah. yeah. No, it's very that. And I you can also see that throughout Steven Jens' entire performance of this character. Um, because when we get out of the Gordy scene when that's pretty much finished after Gordy's been shot, um, what we jump back to is him visibly like really in his head and like really like not knowing what's going on around him. And his wife is like, Do you wanna give it another try? And that's when he says, Oh, wait, actually, this is reversed. I'm not remembering this movie right. Cause he does the what if I told you you leave here today, change, and then it cuts, right?
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. It, what if I told you you leave here today, change, and that's the beginning of his speech that he's giving to the. Oh wow, um, I'm giving myself
0: body. Alzheimer's. Okay, love, um, obsessed, but yeah. So basically, he says, "What if, what if I told you you leave here today, change?" And then it cuts to his actual like the performance that is the Star Lasso experience, um, which up to this point we don't know about like what it is. What I do remember though, in my first viewing was when he turns around. First of all, I love his little outfit.
1: It's so I, good.
0: I, I want it in my life it. so bad. I he has these it. fun, it's just great, first of all, Stephen Young looks great in red. I'll just say that while we're here. He's wearing a cowboy hat. He has all these fun patches. And then the longer you look at it, you start to notice some little details that are on this suit, mm-hmm. One of which is a UFO with sequins coming out of the sky. And I'm like, I am obsessed with your fashion sense. This it's is so, so great. <laughs> it's so, no, like literally I'm like, men need to start wearing things like that at the Met Gala. Let's do it. You are
1: so right. You are Hurry speaking. up!
0: What are you all doing? Wearing a black suit? Buy something interesting. Get some iron-on patches. I don't care how you have to do it, but show up with something fun. Yeah. Anyway, men in fashion do better, but um, yeah, he's wearing this like little alien outfit. that I'm like, I need to own, and that's when we get the his little spiel, which I will also say from like a, a point of standpoint of like writing is really hammy and kind of bad. <laughs> like at least for me, I was like, who edited this? <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, girls, let's fix it. Um, but yeah, no, we get his like whole little spiel. He brings up that his co-star from Gordy's home has like come to join him for this. And then he explains what exactly the Star Lasso experience is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh god. Oh, it's bad.
1: It's really, it's dark. It's getting dark. He is basically like, Oh yeah, every Friday night for the past six months uh the he says oh my gosh i can't remember does he call them the viewers or the watchers i'm pretty sure it's the viewers
0: it's the viewers yeah he calls okay. them the viewers
1: he call he basically calls jean jacket the viewers um thinking that they're still aliens which girl how like how I love you so much but what
0: <laughs> no literally it's like that like this concept of like deliberately ignoring this entire thing. I'm like, Bestie, it's it's not that at all.
1: Oh my gosh. It's kind of what the audience of this movie did, if you really think
0: about it. <laughs> so true. No, because he literally, he's like, they haven't made contact yet. And I'm like, you've been doing this for how many months? Yeah. Surely at some point, they would have beamed down and said hello.
1: I do want to say something that I noticed my third time watching through. I was like, When he says that, um, the first horse that was eaten six months ago, um, his name was Trigger, and I thought that was a really interesting detail, because that one horse triggered all of this, uh, so true, Jordan Peele, I just think that your mind is so, it's so interesting, um, I
0: love all the TikToks about him that are, like, I love your movies, (laughs) you scare me, (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, during this, we get a lot of, during the scene, we get a lot of uh, little camera pans to Mary Jo Elliott, uh, who is now an adult, um, who, ugh, girly, she's wearing her her little Gordy's home sweatshirt. What?
0: With the picture of what her face looked like before the incident, too. yeah. As though like her entire existence is reduced to this one moment in her life, which I would also argue, at least in terms of internet virality, is entirely true. There are literally people in the twenty first century whose entire lives will have already been reduced and will continue to be reduced to a single thing Mm -hmm. that they did on the internet. And it's like, what I find so interesting is that she seems to almost be like, and we obviously don't know about anything about her outside life or her inner world, but like she seems to almost be a willing participant in that and like facilitating it herself. It's super weird. It's super trippy.
1: She's, I think something that really strikes me about her doing this versus jupe because they're basically doing the same thing by turning themselves into the spectacle, by turning themselves into what happened to them. Um, however, I, we obviously, like you said, we don't know how she is, how she is mentally. Um, but I think that there is something to be said about something that happens to you. And then you are left very disabled and then not being able to get out of what other people are trying to make you do. So I think whoever, you know, is taking care of her, whoever is, you know, facilitating this is basically like, Oh, remember you're Mary Jo Elliott. You're the girl from Gordy's home who was attacked by the chimpanzee and lived. Um, and she's kind of like, well, I can't get out of this. Look at me now. You know, she is completely disfigured. She can't live by, like, she can't live like the rest of how she used to. Um, and so I think anytime, you know, she leaves her house, someone's going to be like, oh, what happened to you? You know, it's one of those things. No, She will never, ever escape it. And so what are you going to do when you can't escape something? You just have to, you just have to Embrace let it happen. Embrace
0: it. Yeah, yeah exactly. basically.
1: Uh, And I think that's really one is just really sad. Um, And two, it's just like it's interesting to see that versus Jupe, because whereas Mary Jo Elliott, she physically cannot live a day of her life without having to deal with the repercussions of what happened to her.
0: Yeah, and, and quite literally bear the scars of that incident, like no matter how you put it, that's what it is
1: no, exactly. Um, and so we don't know if she's actually, you know, she has to embrace it physically. Whereas Jupe, he did not have to, he really didn't. The the incident, the Gordy's incident happened in the nineties. You know, it, it happened at a time where the internet wasn't so crazy and he could have, you know, separated himself from that. Um, other than maybe the snl skit but you know you know he could have gotten away from it and he didn't because that was his own way of coping um but i just think that the duality of of those characters and jordan peele putting her there basically having her and jupe meet their demise together after surviving in a very similar incident uh, what i
0: think too like tying it back to that idea of him under the table in the Gordy's home. And this idea of like, well, I made it out. So surely I'll make it out twice. Like, because we don't really. So what happens is that Jean jacket comes early um, because basically uh, Juke notes that at 6, 13 PM, a number we will return to, um, but at 6, 13 PM every Friday, right? Every like end of the weekend yeah, for like the last six months, Jean jacket has shown up and it's like, I'm here for a horse. But he shows up early today. And basically, Jupe is like, that's weird, but we're going to keep going, whatever. So he opens up the the thing for Lucky, who's the horse he's planning to defeat a Jean Jacket, and have him run out into the gulch, notably far from where they are now. And Lucky will not run. Uh, he stays in his little box. He will not go. And that's when Jean Jacket, like, descends on this crowd. And we get what I think has to be one of the most stomach-turning scenes in a movie that I've seen in a long time. Like, oh, my God. Watching this, I was like, I'm going to throw up. Cause So just to be clear, we see about 40 people get sucked up into the air. We see their screaming bodies careen through the air into Jean Jacket's mouth. And then for the first time in the movie, we see what's inside of there. It's like, as Jordan Peele described it, a bouncy castle from hell. Like, oh, my God. And they're just sandwiched between these like two basically like inflatable tubes kind of that's like looks visibly like wet and sticky and one of the like gags. I'm guessing it just like smells horrible in there. And we see them being like moved up through an esophagus. And then finally the last shot of these of these people, last what we'll see of them in this form, um, is this woman looking, up, I believe it is his wife, looking up at a semi-digested horse corpse directly in front of her. And she just screams and like and then it cuts.
1: Mm-hmm. And her scream sounds very similar to the horses' screams that they do when they're getting eaten by Jean yeah. Jacket. Um, I think it's just Terror. something. About, I think it's just something about getting, I don't know, something about Jean Jacket is making this sound come out of people.
0: Well, it's Jordan talked about this in an interview, too, this, like, this collective um, hopelessness that they all share. Because, like, once they're up there, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, that You're done. There's no way out from there. You're going to sit there and get adjusted for four to five hours, I would guess, and just get, like, you're just stuck there with a bunch of other people. You can barely breathe. It's just, and, like, I personally, I would not say have, like, claustrophobia per se, but... Well, I might because the idea of being sandwiched in a small space where I can't move—well, that's claustrophobia. I have claustrophobia. So
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I, love, I was like, I don't have claustrophobia. I just hate small spaces where you're squeezed really tightly. But like the idea of like caving, for example, I can't do. Do no. not under any circumstances ask me to crawl through a hole where I cannot fully inhale under the ground. What is wrong with you? And <laughs> I'm watching this. I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, oh, this is just that, but in the air, you're getting enzymatically broken down. Yeah. Oh, I'll pass. Pa- mm-hmm. Thank you, but I'll pass me personally. I'm good.
1: My, my like, two biggest fears, n- number one biggest fear ever is getting crushed to death. And number two is getting, like, burned to death by acid. And so, such specific... Jordan, Jordan
0: Peele said, let's hold hands right now. Jordan let's Peele bring said, it let's together.
1: terrify Sage for a minute.
0: <laughs> no, literally, and also it's like, thinking about me in horror movies isn't like, well, how would I, you know, i like, I get out of that. I would win. And then I watch this and I'm like, no, actually, this is... Uh, there's no, no way. No, I'm like, dead. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And it's just, no, it's genuinely, like, so stomach-turning and so out of nowhere, too, because, like, we haven't seen what it looks like. We just know, like, the horse goes up and it doesn't come back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's, like, this is, like, the turn of the movie in terms of, like, the horror part, because then we get one of my favorite scenes. So... Because OJ goes to get lucky and is like, "I'm gonna get my horse." Shows up at Jupiter's claim. There's nobody there. Notably, mm-hmm. they're all in Jean Jacket right now. Um, Jean Jacket comes back and is like, "Haha!" and tries to eat Daniel Kaluuya. He basically gets like concussed, <laughs> essentially like thrown up against this roof, but he lives. Um, and then he wakes up and there's a storm happening. And then it's like full tilt terror moment time.
1: Like uh-huh. it's insane.
0: It's so good. I don't remember what happens first. Okay, does because do we see him going back to the house first? Or so, is this after?
1: So basically what happens is OJ goes to Jupiter's claim to go get lucky. He gets concussed and then it like goes back. The can't like the scene switches to Angel leaving um M and OJ's house. And Angel is just getting in his car. He's playing the music. Um, And as he is driving away, his car shuts down. He realizes that all the power has gone out. And he's like, oh, I I am literally under a jean jacket. Um, And so he runs back into the house and is like, Em, we're in trouble. She is watching the video of her dad basically talking about um, her family history with, with Spectacle and with Horses. Uh, so literally so genius anyways the power's out now and they're hiding um and as this is happening jean jacket just moves over their house a bit it's raining and em is looking out the window and seeing that the rain is coming down like at least what a school bus away actually so funny though i have a note written down that i don't even remember writing um Jean jacket's mouth is two school buses in length oh
0: I'm, I'm done
1: no i'm i'm, I'm terrified
0: out. i'm <laughs> i'm good <laughs> thank Julie you is so yeah.
1: massive. like she is so big um good for her honestly i love her. i love i know
0: yeah that that scene though of like watching the rain like sort of crawl away from the house it mm-hmm. just goes to, like dad's silent. i was like oh surely not
1: <laughs> no <laughs> and then and then we hear the screaming coming and then that's the moment where you're kind of like oh this is what happened at the beginning of the movie like she's about to throw up and then she does and then she does jean jacket basically throws up all of the people that she's just eaten and half digested and it's just blood, just pouring. It's like out the window
0: blood and car keys and like a seat, um, like the wheelchair. So, so much like random shit just like falling out of the sky. It's such a horrifying scene. I also love how Angel and Em react to this differently because Em is just like, "Oh, it's above us. Like we better stay quiet." Angel, meanwhile, is holding a knife, like a <laughs> kitchen knife, under the table, and I'm like, "King, I love you, but like realistically."
1: Like, what, <laughs> what are, you are we doing
0: do? like, what are no, you please do? <laughs> explain to me what you will accomplish when jean Jacket, notably who is just above your house right you now, shitting blood on you <laughs> and you're like well i have this kitchen knife i'm ready to go <laughs> angel i love you king i would die for you i yeah. I, also,
1: I also think it's really interesting that this is basically jean Jacket is not trying to eat them at this point in time she is marking her territory that is exactly what she's doing because
0: yeah uh-huh.
1: yeah exactly it is not we know that too because later on in in the movie she does suck up the house she's capable of doing it she purposefully did not eat them um girly you are you're crazy for that you're crazy for that
0: and I love her for it. Mm-hmm. And I said she did nothing wrong. Yeah. She
1: did nothing wrong.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, she's like spewing blood on them. Eventually OJ does start to make it back. And then his car like basically dies mid way back. And you're like okay. And this also again, another scene of a character saying just the word nope. Mm-hmm. Um, because he sort of like opens his car door very slightly and he looks up. And the and there's like a little lightning flash. And you can see jean jackets like whole ass bodies above him with like the flags dangling out. And he goes nope and just closes his door. And also, and I'm not really always a jump scare person. I think that they're kind of like they're a cheap shot, I think, in terms of like making like a good scary movie, but they are great when used effectively. And this one was really good. Um, yeah. You're like the dead silence of OJ's car and you're like, okay, well, jean jacket's above and this is so fucking scary. And then out of nowhere, that plastic horse from earlier comes careening through the windshield. When I tell you, I physically jumped like out of my, out of my seat. seat a little bit. Like, <laughs> Oh, and then he just goes, and he locks the door, and I'm like, yeah. I'm obsessed with your mind. Like, you know, exactly. He, someone just spit out a plastic horse covered in blood, and you said, oh, I'll lock the door, just for safety.
1: Honestly, what? me too. Like, exactly what I would do. I'd be like, oh, we're going to lock the door for extra protection. um, just to be sure. Yeah. I also think it's so slay of Jean Jacket to, to save the horse for OJ. Like, I just think <laughs> to wait. So yeah, she She's like, I'm going to let everything go on this house except for that horse. That one's for the dude. That one's for I the I will guy. say this.
0: This is my favorite interpretation to this movie is that at the end when Jean Jacket gets all, like, borderline an biblical angel, this is not an intimidation thing. Mean, this is a mating dance. <laughs> um, And what I love about this concept, too, is, like, you know how cats will, like, leave you a dead mouse on your doorway as a way of being, like, affection? I just, I just love the idea of Jean Jacket being, like, I'm going to propose, and then just shit a <laughs> horse on him. <laughs> she's I, like, well, that'll be nice. He'll appreciate that.
1: Oh, my gosh. No, I but just, you wear OJ and Jean Jacket, get married.
0: That's the monster fuckerification of this movie. I can't do that. Oh, my God.
1: I'm surprised I um, see more of it, though, to be honest. That's
0: fair. Well, I mean, Jean Jacket's very slayed, but, like, in an angelic way. No, um yeah, no, but basically, as this movie goes, I feel pretty quick. All that really happens in the remainder is they are able to recruit that filmmaker from the beginning of the movie, Antlers, who is very into, like, analog filmmaking. He's, like, a fucked up little guy. He wears a really weird, like, robe with shorts. <laughs> um, confusing. <laughs> um, they, basically, they make a plan to actually get JJ on film, and the way that they're going to do this, uh, they set up a bunch of these Sky Dancers, like, in front of, like, the things in front of car dealerships, the ones that like, jumping around and waving. And so they they built them all into different car batteries. So basically, based off which ones go on or off, they can tell uh, where Jean Jacket is. Oh my god, I also we never mentioned this that Jean Jacket hides in the clouds. Um yeah. and that from the literal first shot of the movie, you can see the cloud in question and it actually does not move the rest of the movie. It's so great.
1: It's so great. Like, and also, I think like it just makes you feel like you are being watched the entire time. After you watch it, like the second time, like the second time watching it, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, there's Jean Jacket. She's just no, in the." Background.
0: Literally, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> it's, she's right there. She's right there. She's right there. Every shot where the cloud is visible, and like Jean Jacket is in the frame. Like, but anyway, yeah. yeah. So they make this little trap. They set their like where they're all gonna be. They have walkie talkies. OJ's basically because OJ's like, we need to enter a contract with a predator. I would also like to point out that Angel is wearing OJ's clothes. Um, that's not important, but I just wanted to let everybody know. Uh, because his clothes got notably covered in, like, blood and random, like, garbage. (laughs) Um, So, just pointing that out. But, but basically, yeah, they're like, all right, we're gonna catch this thing. Because they did run away for a hot minute, and M wanted to, like, leave it behind. But OJ's like, I have mouths to feed, I have things to take care of. Also, if we leave this, people are gonna get hurt. Like, and this is also, like, thematically, the movie turns from spectacle because now the goal is no longer that they like want the Oprah shot necessarily it's more so that if jean jacket's not documented and people don't know what's going on with it they will continue to come to this place not going to get like fucked up and die yeah so they're like we're gonna go back we're gonna figure it out um their plan is very slay basically oj's on horseback unlucky um they're all like you just can't look at it basically you can't look at jean jacket in the eye or like. Your time is up. I'm going to murder you. Um, And OJ correctly deduces that if he has flags attached to himself, JJ will not, like, go to eat him because of what happened last time, Rhee, the plastic horse. Uh, And this idea works, but this is also where, near the end of the movie, we get the TMZ reporter, uh, who is so much of a thematic moment without even trying that hard. This guy literally shows up wearing a mirrored helmet and holding a camera, like quite literally faceless. Like he is simply a reflection of the other characters.
1: He comes unprepared because he doesn't know what's going on. And he is just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to get whatever on film, whatever's happening here. Uh, And I think he does know like, Oh, you know, some things are really weird around here. Like, some things happened really weird around here. He, uh, yeah, he
0: points out that it comes up as blurry on Google Maps.
1: Yes. Yeah. He's like, you guys are really tucked away back here, and uh, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, so true. Yes, they are. Maybe maybe you should leave. Um, and then he's obviously looking for uh, Jupiter's claim, and M is like, go the other way, go the other way. And he's like, no, that's okay. I'll go through this way. And basically gets hit by Jean Jacket's electronic MPP, M- EMP. Like, how do you explain what he, she does?
0: So basically, um, Jean Jacket, whenever she gets near anything electrical, it just sort of like shuts down. It looks to be a, a pretty small area um, because notably, like, it's like only over the Haywood's house or it's only over um, Jupiter's family. It's not like a huge area, but yeah, Jean Jacket's like extra abilities outside of being uh, a giant cloth monster that eats horses uh, is that she can generate a cloud around her basically to hide in and that she can also turn off and disrupt all electronics. That's like her, her superpower is basically, that's what she does. Um, So when this guy's, you know, motorcycling towards where Jean Jacket is, where the thing she's hiding, um, notably his bike is electric. And so it just suddenly turns off and he goes flying off of his bike, crashes horribly. Um, And then OJ's like, I'm going to go grab him. And this is where the TMZ guy becomes even further shitty. (laughs) He's so dumb. OJ literally is like, take off your helmet, shut your fucking eyes, or like this, we're going to die. And he's literally like begging for his camera as though it would like his broken legs like it's insane yeah he's like i need my camera where's my camera you want to be famous right like and when oj notices that g Jagger has like started to come towards him he's like i'm sorry and he ditches the guy
1: so true of him too and then and then the guy gets eaten
0: Uh, and we hear him screaming like oh my god like in the air and i'm like well i don't feel that bad uh (laughs) like
1: you were warned you were warned
0: quite directly yeah Mm -hmm. um basically yeah i mean like everybody gets kind of fucked up antlers sacrifices himself to jean jacket uh i'll be real that scene still confounds me i don't know if you have thoughts about that but like i don't really get why that happens
1: okay so so my thoughts about it is because he is basically the facilitator of spectacle, right? He creates it. He is the person who he has a line in the beginning of the movie where he's like, oh, that um that like shot that you want the the people I don't remember what he said. Something about like he's talking to M on the phone and he's like oh I think that you know that shot that you want that that title on you that's what I live every day. Um and he knows that he will never ever get out of that. And he's totally fine with it, I think. And then he gets the actual shot and he, he sees jean jacket and he, he knew it was real, but he never really grasped the idea of what he was seeing. And I think that while OJ and M are like, this is just an animal, this is just an animal that, you know, can't be tamed. It's going, it's marking its territory. It's eating everything antlers is like oh no oh this is this is it like this is the shot nothing will ever top this my livelihood now like this is it like i've accomplished everything that i need to accomplish um and then he says what does he say he said we don't deserve he says,
0: we don't deserve the impossible
1: yeah but why did he have to leave the camera like seriously girly could you just leave it for them like he he got sucked up with it
0: I, part of me, I have, part of me thinks on one hand, maybe he was like, well, it's inorganic material. So maybe jean jacket will just like spit it out at some point. But the other part of me thinks that, um, he essentially is like, this goes with me. Like, like you said, how like his whole life is basically chained to this like operation of production. Um, I think in part, you know, he wouldn't throw himself a jean jacket for nothing. Cause ultimately I think for him, it's not about seeing it. It's about recording it. So he's like, well, we have to know what the inside looks like. Um, I don't remember if this was true or not, but I think I remember reading something like in an earlier draft of the script, he was essentially going to like throw angel towards jean jacket and then film that. And that's what he's like, it's going to be a right angel. Like, but it's not not what happened. I think, I think more accurately, he was going to like, look at not not like run up the hill, but like just like move their tarp and look up a jean jacket and then get them both killed essentially. Um but notably no, no, that's not what happens. Um but yeah I think I think we what you said about him like you know this like my livelihood like this is this is it basically I think is fair. I don't I'll admit that we don't we don't deserve the impossible line throws me off a bit because I feel that if he truly believed that he wouldn't have filmed it in the first place. Like if we don't deserve the impossible, why did you even try to capture it? Like, what was what was the point? I don't, I don't really get it. But um, but yeah, he he gets eaten um pretty quick, pretty quick actually. And then Angel does almost get eaten, but my king is a genius and wraps himself in a tarp and barbed wire. So Jean Jack is like, "You taste like shit," and then spits him out <laughs> immediately. Um, go Angel, winner.
1: So true. Um,
0: and then this is also, I I believe that is when. Jean jacket goes full to a biblical angel form and, like, unwraps herself, basically.
1: Yeah, she she goes to attack um, M. She goes to mm, go right. suck, suck her up. And then she sucks up the entire house. And you can kind of see that in order to do that, she needs to, like, like take herself apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she immediately repairs herself. Like, she doesn't have to stay in that... Form, uh,
0: right.
1: and then she does. She does go into her big angel-like form. So true. I'm obsessed. So with
0: it's so pretty from a design perspective. I know that in interviews, Jordan Post talked about how this, how her final form was really inspired by the angels in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, specifically, I believe Raziel's the one that's like a weird fucked up cube that changes shape a lot. But, um. But yeah, no, she's divine is the only word I can even use to describe it. Like she's beautiful and terrifying, which at least for me, that's what divinity really is. It's, it's fear. Like, it's not like a, like the word awesome in its original meaning is not like super cool. It's awe inspiring as in fearful. Like the 10 plagues are awesome in that way. Like they're scary. They're a testament of power and of like destructive ability and that's what Jean Jacket is doing. And it's it looks killer on screen. Like, it's super, super, super cool. Um, but yeah, basically, OJ fucks with Jean Jacket. And then Jean Jacket, basically, M does the Akira slide, which is great. She's riding this motorcycle. She does this amazing. I'm like, Kiki Palmer, I will die for you. Um, and then we get the last couple of scenes in this movie where essentially M untethers this giant balloon of jupe, which I think is telling, to say the least. Um, and as it floats into the sky, it has an eye. So it's staring at Jean Jacket, and Jean Jacket's like, oh, it's huge, it's floating, it's a predator. All right, slay. And as it goes to eat this balloon, M uses this, the wink and well, which is a thing from, Ju- from Jupiter's claim, where you put it in a quarter, you turn it, and then this well takes a picture from the bottom up. And that is how she actually does get the shot of Jean Jacket before Jean Jacket eats this balloon, explodes, and dies. And the last shot of the movie basically is um OJ on Lucky looking at M as they're doing the thing they've been doing the whole movie where like they do like the I see you motion basically, like they lock eyes. Uh and then the news crews show up to Jupiter's claim, and that is the movie, right?
1: Yeah. Um OJ appears uh outside of a sign that says out yonder. Hate that for me, because a lot of people theorize that he is actually dead. Um, and that's why he was, you know, outside of that sign. Uh, and Emma's like looking at him and like tears are coming down her face. God, Kiki Palmer, you're insane. Like you are so good. I her do-
0: emotion in that last scene. Holy shit.
1: It is so like she is exhausted and triumphant. And both of those are just such intense emotions. And you can feel it. You can feel it. Um, I also have written in my notes that I was taking during the movie, I have written, dead ass, if OJ is dead, I'll commit arson. Holy shit, JJ is iconic.
0: Points were made with that. Yeah. I be- And I believe every word and I agree with every word said.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: I personally, whilst I can see where, I don't know why I like talking like a Shakespearean monk, but... Um, while like while I can see the the version of events that leads to OJ being dead because there is some evidence for that, it also makes the most sense given like he was fucking with Jean Jacket and like so far no one has survived that. But I like the interpretation that he gets to survive this because of the fact that he understood the mechanics of what he was getting into. Like unlike all the other characters um that have faced Gene Jacket before, our little team does. O.J. is aware of what Jean Jacket is. He knows that she's a predator and she's an animal. And like he says, animals have rules. And I I, mean, for my state of mind, for my piece, uh, I choose to believe that he does make it through that movie. And that's also why the ending scene of Kiki Palmer doing the like the ICU motion is so important is because like she does. They, he is there. At least I would like to believe he is.
1: I think, you know, for my sanity, like he is alive. Um, I do also think that one, their like brother or sister relationship is so good. I'm I'm obsessed with the way that they act. Uh, it just is so emotional. I think like rewatching that movie, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally tearing up.
0: <laughs> it no, was literally. So good. OJ, I know that you're fine because who's going to kiss Angel in the mouth if you're not fine? Because Angel notably does survive the movie. I like to point that out.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. My he-
0: King survives. He made it through. He persevered. Um.
1: That shot yeah. of, like looking out and seeing Gene, oh my gosh, so good. I, I do remember it. what I was gonna say. Um I like the idea that OJ does survive because he is the foil to jupe. Um and I think that something that that often happens in in media is that when one foil dies, the other one will survive. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, use that. I'm just gonna say that that's
0: Yeah. I I like that too. I think that I think that interpretation really works because also the key difference between Dupe and OJ when it comes to Jean Jacket is how they respect or don't respect what she is, and I think that that is important to what happens in that movie. Um, yeah, no. Thematically, this movie has a lot going on. Which we were like semi touched on the one thing I do want to talk about. The biggest thing I talk about anyway is the prevalence of this number six thirteen. Um, I'm, I'm going to sound crazy for a minute and I am okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically here's some things that time out weirdly with this whole 613 number. So one is that Jupe tells us that the Gordy's home is six minutes and 13 seconds of pure carnage. Like, so we have that also the first time we see jean jacket is at 613 PM. Also this movie we know takes place six months ish after the first time Jean Jacket has basically, after Otis Sr.'s death, if I had to hazard a guess about how many days were attacked onto that, I would probably say 13. Um, the only thing that truly like ruins this for me, though, is that the verse used at the beginning is Nahum six. Notably, there is not a Nahum 6.13, um, because there's only three chapters in that, so there's no way to like have it any further. Um, but This movie has a lot to say about, like, I think a lot some biblical themes. What I would say is that um, the presence of books from the Tanakh, which is what the Book of Mayhem is. So Jewish tangent, everybody, alert, Jewish tangent. um, There are 613 laws in the Torah or 613 mitzvot that technically speaking, we're all supposed to follow at all times. Um, And that's important. That number is relevant for a lot of reasons. And I also just want to point out that um, I went back, Sage and I actually both went back and dug through the, the whole Bible, because why not? Um, no, because
1: I'm on my lunch break and Noah is literally sending me like, like at least 25 texts. Like, oh my gosh, guess what? Like all these 613s. And I'm like scrambling to look up certain Bible verses on my phone.
0: <laughs> I'm sending you like a theological essay. And you're like, dude, I'm just trying to get to the work day right now. Like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> But basically, so essentially, um, hold on, I'm trying to actually look back at what I was saying because I had thoughts. Here we go. Um, Okay, so I just went back through. Exodus 6.13 has, I don't think, really any relevance to this. But Leviticus 6.13 is literally about offering meals to God and, like, the quality of what those meals should be. Um, like it's literally like, this is the offering Aaron an essential offer to God on the occasion of his anointment, a tent of an epitaph of choice flour as a regular meal offering half of it in the morning, half of it in the evening. So like, they're not offering flour to Jean Jacket, but notably they are offering food and that's what this is about. And number 613 also deals with that. The interesting thing is that Deuteronomy 613 notably is not about meals, but it is about fear. It's about holding one God above all other gods, fearing God and worshiping that God alone. And like, I don't think any of these things are directly thematic, Um, but what they are is, in my opinion, very interesting verses. And they all have to do with this continuance of 6.13. I'm trying to remember what Genesis 6.13 is. I have to look this up because I'm now remembering the one, like the incident that is spectacleism um, in the Bible, at least that I would argue in the Torah, is Lot and in Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you, did you remember that one?
1: No, Genesis 6.13 wasn't incredibly standout-ish to me, I don't think. I remember, I.
0: Oh, yes, it was. I'm now remembering why it was because it's, and God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them. Um, okay. So yeah. that I would say at least like a verse about destruction. I guess like biblically, the one story that I find is so lines up with this is the story of Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah. So do you remember the story of Lot? No. All right. Jewish tangent continuing. So basically Lot is this guy that, okay, basically God goes to Abraham and is like, hey, bestie, Sodom and Gomorrah is a really gross city and I want to wipe it off the face of the earth. And Abraham's like, that seems like a big reaction. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Seems like a little bit mean. How about we don't? And he's like, all right, fine. If you can find me like a dozen decent people in that city, I will not annihilate it forever. But Abraham can't because there's not. Um, but he does find Lot and his family, who's Abraham's I believe, cousin. Um, and God's like, all right, fine. Lot seems chill. His family seems chill. I will let them leave. I'll send down some angels to go grab them and they'll leave the city or whatever. As they're leaving the city, they're all the way out, and then God's like, all right, smiting time, and he rains down fire and brimstone and a pillar of fire upon the city. And Lot's wife has been told, we have all been told realistically, actually, that basically, if, if any of them are to look back upon the city while it's being destroyed, God will destroy them as well. The act of looking at the burning city and like the wrath of God, basically, is consequence enough to justify them dying and nobody looks back except for Lot's wife and then she gets turned into a pillar of salt instantaneously and it's just left there. Yeah. So it's literally a story about what happens when you look at spectacle you die. Like but there's no teams in it so alas. Um but yeah, no this is <laughs> like a lot to say like biblically about Yo. spectacle and about like offerings. And notably Peel did say in another interview that like he thinks that jean jacket species has been on earth for a while and that other times in human history, it would be easy to mistake people getting eaten with communion with the divine, which so slay. Anyway, that's my Jewish tangent. I'll be done now with that. (laughs) Jewish tangent over. Thank you for coming.
1: (laughs) No, I do think though, like, it's definitely not a coincidence that there are so many, um, just little six thirteens in the movie. Like, there's no way, right? Corinthians also, Corinthians 1 had uh one about food. The food for the stomach and stomach for food and God will destroy them both. That's interesting uh, because, you know, the movie is about Jean Jacket eating people.
0: Um, I kind of wonder if, like, that is, like, there's no greater meaning to it. It's just that all these verses happen to correlate to hunger. I'm like, well... <laughs>
1: like, she really was just hungry.
0: No, like, she was just having a day. We've all been there
1: yeah exactly
0: i for one will not be punishing her for that
1: Mm -mm. we this is a we are jean jacket apologists over here
0: yeah there's this great tweet that says the lgbtq community has forgiven jean jacket we are the lgbtq community yeah we've forgiven jean jacket yes we have i said oh it's fine thank you this concept of the violence of attention is really interesting to me. Um, I mean, I like it too, because I find that movies are weird when uh, any medium is weird to make meta-commentary about itself. Like a movie about the concept of movies, I'm like, okay, well, all right. But um, one thing that I noticed that I like is there's a difference between when Angel and OJ and M are being spectacleized and when they're being seen. And I think that uh, that's that parallel between we have all these cameras, and we're trying to film Gene Jacket and make a lot of money. But notably, the most important scenes in the film are when, or when I almost said Angel. Oh my God, can't stop thinking about him. Yeah. Um, it's when, but it's when OJ and M are looking at one another. That's mm-hmm. our final scene of the film. We we see the picture that M has of Gene Jacket. It's we we see the the photo. But notably, what the film leaves with is two people who see each other despite the spectacle. And I find that concept of like, you know. People you can have interactions with others that involve sight that involve being seen and observed that are notably quite different than being spectacularized yeah. And then you can even see people within a spectacle as individuals. I think it's just it was just an interesting way to close that movie. And I really liked it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I also think that there's a there's a concept that I was thinking about, um, which is so similar, the like difference between being viewed and observed. Um and I think the jupe scenes are just like really cemented in like he, when you are viewing something, you're doing it out of entertainment, however, however fucked up it is. Right. Like the people who are watching the SNL skit, who are watching, he literally says that like someone paid him like $40,000 to stay the night in his little weird closet thing. Like these people are viewing their, their, you know, basically romanticizing his trauma for him, um, versus observing. He's the only one who's observed the the Gordy situation because he was there. You know, everyone else is just viewing it. They didn't have to, you know, go through the trauma. They didn't have to worry for their lives. It's only, it's only Joop. Um, and I think that's a lot of, you know, why the all the news reporters show up at the end, right? And then we see. M and OJ looking at each other. They're observing each other. They just observed this entire thing because they were in it. That's what happened to them. And here's all these people who show up with cameras, who are just going to view it, who are just going to view the aftermath and blow up their entire story for the for the news.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. I think through the parallels between like how Jupe and OJ both handle spectacles, because like like you said, they are narrative foils. Like you can tell that. I think what's what's different by the end is what they want out of it. Because I think what Jupe doesn't understand about himself is that there is a comfort in things that are bad if they're consistent. Like, he is both slave to the spectacle and also he's affirmed by it. It makes him feel what he's doing is worth doing. And O.J. really, by the end of the movie, lacks that feeling. He's interested in capturing this footage of Jean Jacket, but not out of an interest in, like, does will make me famous or make me rich? But more so that, like, I don't know. It was just like cause and awareness sort of is seemed to be their end goal. But I also like that, Like, despite all that, the blood and like shit, they literally go through in this movie. We end on the, on the two siblings because like ultimately their relationship is more important than the spectacle. They are about to become a part of no matter how you slice it. um. But yeah, this movie was really good. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't really go back to the theater and see a movie more than once. I've never done that. I did for this. Uh, it was yeah. great.
1: I don't think I also have ever gone back to a theater and paid the money to to
0: watch it again. Um, Even though I, to, like, the, like, I love, I'm like, oh, well, come on, streaming. I'll, w- I'll watch it later. But I was like, no, I want to go back to the theater and watch this again. Anyways, Jordan Pilgrim, I'm so sorry. Many of the people who watched this movie somehow did not understand it. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> Even though you put the quote at the beginning...
0: Like, even though every single theme in this movie is so heavy handed, they were like, oh, I'll, I'll be having my eyes shut. Thank you. Yeah. I'll not be reading.
1: Yeah. People just really did not get it. Um, not
0: us, Magic. though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the horrors are indescribable to you. Not to <laughs> us, though. We get it. Thank you for joining us on Cowboys and slaybuds a pop culture podcast where two gay people talk about whatever they're thinking about that week. You can follow us on social media at Cowboys and Bonds. And if you feel like it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. We really appreciate it.